Hello, and thanks so much for tuning into the Digging Deeper podcast with Pastor Ken Vance. This podcast is designed to go a step beyond the Sunday teaching with a more in-depth look at the topic Pastor Ken shared with us this past weekend. So whether you're on your way home from work or pouring yourself a fresh cup of coffee, we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next episode. And now, here's Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken Vance. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ken Vance, the senior pastor at Vertical Church, and this is our weekly podcast, Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken. This podcast is designed for those who want to go further. They want to dig deeper into God's Word, to lay a strong foundation of biblical truth so that they can grow up and mature in their walk with God. So I'm excited. This this month, we're going to be having a series of discussions around the topic of being kingdom builders. You know, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God and the principles of God's kingdom. When Jesus came to earth, he brought the good news of the kingdom. And it's important because it is in truth good news. God's kingdom came to benefit humankind. And it's important that we know and understand how God's kingdom operates and how we can operate within it. And most importantly of all, how the kingdom can work for us. It's so awesome to recognize God is a good and benevolent and generous king. And he wants us to know and understand how his kingdom operates so that it can uh, uh, benefit our lives, that we can live blessed in the kingdom. And so Jesus, when he came as the master teacher, he used parables. Parables were stories that gave an understanding of how the kingdom operates. And so before we get into the, some of the stories, let's first deal with some important groundwork, things that may seem obvious but are critical for our thinking. Number one is this. What is a kingdom? A kingdom, in honesty, is a place where a king has dominion. It's not necessarily a specific landmark, but it's a place or a sphere where the king has rule. In other words, where the king's Uh, allowed to reign, where the king's influence, where a king has dominion. That is a kingdom. And number two, Jesus taught us that God's kingdom starts within us. In uh, Luke 17, it says this in verse 20, once when being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God, and listen to this, is within you. God begins in the human heart. The most important thing to Almighty God is the human heart, because God works from within us. He seeks to reign in our lives from the inside out. And that's why the most important thing to him is the condition of our heart, because he wants our hearts to be surrendered. He wants our hearts to allow him the opportunity to reign because God works through love. God is love and wants us to love him enough that we would trust him and allow him to change us and to work within us from the inside out. And if God has dominion over our heart, then every other area of our lives is an area that is under the influence of the kingdom of God. 
And that's why it's important as we go through this. But we also need to recognize that the kingdom only comes into us when God is invited in. We surrender, we submit, we allow God the entrance in it. And that's why the new birth is so critical, because how do we find ourselves in a right standing relationship with God? Isn't it when we ask Christ to come into our hearts, to come into our lives? If we confess Jesus as Lord, that's so important to understand that Jesus is the King of Kings, that Jesus is the Lord of Lords. He arose from the dead with all authority, both in heaven and in earth. And Jesus willingly allows the opportunity for human beings to choose whether or not they will submit to his lordship, whether or not they will receive his benevolence and grace to not only forgive them of their sins, but make them new from the inside out. That's why the New Testament teaches us that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things pass away and old things become new. When God's kingdom comes to live within us, God begins to reorder our lives and spiritually we become alive and spiritually God begins to work in our lives. And wherever Christ is given opportunity, wherever he's given lordship, he brings freedom. He brings kingdom blessing. Wherever Jesus is allowed to be Lord, whether over our marriages, over our relationships, over our, uh, our, our careers, over our, 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 our hearts in every way, Jesus desires to be Lord over every facet of our lives. And that's why it's important because when we talk about the subject of money, money can be a funny thing to people because money is, it has an indicator for us to where we're really at. Money is often the indicator of the human heart. That's what the scripture goes on to say. And that's why it's important to talk about this because Jesus told us in Matthew 6 that where our treasure is, there is our heart also. He went on to say also that you cannot serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other. And if you were just to stop there and you'd ask yourself the question, God or fill in the blank, we might say God or the devil. But no, Jesus went on to say, you cannot serve both God and money. Money is the number one competition in the human heart for Almighty God. And that's why it's important. If we are to know how the kingdom operates, if we're to work within that context, then God must be allowed to, allow, uh, to be king over every facet and over the king of our heart. Money and how we handle it is a critical issue to God. And that's what brings us to that next part with regards to the kingdom, is that we must realize we're stewards not masters, not owners. That a steward, for, for a way of definition, a steward is someone, an owner in trust to manage their assets. And it's important for us to recognize and understand that God truly does own it all. Now, I know as human beings, there's a kickback position to that. We say, no, it's mine. But the truth is, we brought nothing into the world and we will, in truth, take nothing out of the world. When we're in the world, the things that we attain, the things that we gain ascendancy over, we only manage or steward those things because one day we will leave this earth and someone else will control what we once had stewardship over. 
We truly owe nothing. God owns it all. In fact, look at what scripture says with respect to it. The Bible has a lot to say in this regard. In Psalm 24, 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In other words, he's saying here, the psalmist, everything belongs to God. It says in Deuteronomy 10, 14, To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, and the earth and everything in it. God owns everything. Leviticus 25, 23 says, The land is mine, and you are but aliens and my tenants. In other words, God had the right to give the land that he gave to the children of Israel because God owns everything. The fact that people would dispute and fight over those ends of it, the truth be told, God is the owner of it all. That's why he had the right to give it to the people of Israel. The land was his because God owns everything. In fact, in Job 41.11, it says, Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. God was speaking there in reference to Job. Listen to this in Psalm 50 in verse 10 through 12. It says, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird and the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. In other words, God's saying here, he owns everything. In fact, the prophet Haggai, in Haggai 2.8, it says, the silver and gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. That's why it's important for us to remember that when we talk about financial things, when we talk about uh, uh, God, God is the owner of all things, and we have to settle the responsibility that we have because we are stewards of God. In other words, we are to manage the resources he entrusts to our care. Listen to this. In Deuteronomy 8, 8, 18, it says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives the ability to produce wealth. And that's why in 1 Samuel 2, 7, it says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. And that's something that we have to individually settle in our own hearts, that God owns everything. Because too often, we as human beings, we can struggle with this idea that, no, it's mine. But as I said before, we didn't bring anything into the world, nor will we take anything out with it. Some people will say, well, what I have, I made it. And that is true. But God gave us the grace, the gifts, abilities, talents that we used to be able to do what we did. God expects the things that he entrusts to us that we do make increase, But at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves the question, what did we do with what we made? How did we use our increase? In what way? Because we can't take it with us. We one day will owe an accountability to the one who truly does own it all. When we make it, God is glorified by our increase. But the truth is we must honor God with our increase. Because God's the one that entrusted to us what we have. All that we have comes from God. Some people have these wrong ideas where they think that God doesn't really care. You know, money's a trivial or a menial thing. It's a carnal thing. God doesn't really care about that. God only cares about spiritual things. But no, 
the scriptures are clear about something. Jesus spoke more about uh, money and possessions, how we handle it in our right view of it more than any other subject. He talked about it more than heaven. He talked about it more than hell. He talked about it more than prayer. He talked about it more than faith. There are many important topics in the Bible, but it's important that we get this issue of finance correct because it matters. In fact, I want to take us to a place because it's important we recognize when kings truly do bow down. David, who was a man after God's own heart, David had spent the entirety of his kingship, his his reign over the nation of Israel. When he was made king, not just over Judah, but when he was made king over all of Israel, he had it and longed in his heart to build a temple for Almighty God. The prophet Nathan told him that God commended him for such a desire, but that it was not for him to build, but that the son that he would bring, his son would build that temple. And so David spent the entirety of his life as king, preparing for that day when God's temple would be built. And in First Chronicles 29, it comes to that place because David here is now at the end of his life the end of his reign over the nation of Israel. And he's about to turn over the reign to Solomon, his son. And the plans had been made for the building of the temple. God had given David uh, a visions about what to build. David had put the architectural plans together based on the visions and, and, and prophetic insight that God had given him. And he entrusted all of this to his son. But when we come to Deuteronomy 29, David bows before the Lord for he acknowledges that God reigns over all, that all things belong to God and that it was his pleasure and his honor to provide for the building of God's temple. And so First Chronicles 29 begins this way. Then David said to the whole assembly, so he had called the nation together because he was about to uh, bring a collection forward for the building of God's temple. He said, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because the partial structure is not for the man, but for the Lord God. In other words, this that they're about to build isn't a temple for man, but it is a temple for Almighty God. And with all of my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures. Now, what's important here. David, in all the wars, all the conquests, all the, the, the fights that he had led Israel through victoriously over their enemies, David had taken plunder. He had taken spoil from all of these, which were the ways that um, armies and nations worked in those days, that when a nation was defeated, the, the nation who defeated them will take their wealth back to their country. Well, David had provided into the national treasuries all the days of his kingship. He was storing up wealth to build God's temple. But then David turns, and this is so important. 
he talks about his personal wealth more than what he had accomplished as king. Now he's talking about his own personal wealth. And he says, besides in my devotion in verse three to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasuries of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. And then he goes on to tell us what he gave. 3,000 talents of gold. That's somewhere near 110 cubic tons of gold. That's a lot of gold. And 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls in the building and for the gold work and the silver work and for all the work that is done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today. In other words, David gives this massive offering. In fact, in today's economy, if you were to take the, the weight, the tonnage, and put it to the uh, what, what gold is worth on our scales, David's personal donation to the temple of God in today's economic times is worth somewhere near $14 billion. That's B billion, not M million. David gave extensively because he loved God with all his heart. And it was his joy to be able to give in this fashion. And so then he leads the nation. He says to the people, then the leaders and the families and the officials and the tribes of the commanders of the hundreds and the officers in charge of the king's work gave willingly. See, God has never asked or demanded things of people. He's always provided the willing opportunities for us to give. And it's important to see and understand that because when David here is building the temple, he gave the opportunity for the nation to get in on it. He had saved for it as king, but he also gave out of his personal treasuries for this building and then invited the people to do in like kind. Just when Moses had built the tabernacle of God in the wilderness. He asked the people to give a free will offering and the people gave so much that he had to actually stop them from giving anymore. Isn't that amazing? And it's so good to know because God is generous. God benevolently gives to us, but he responds when our hearts are inclined to honor and to show our love for him through our giving. And so David says this, I love this in verse 10. Because David bowed down and worshiped to his God. And he said this, Praise be to you, Lord, the God and Father of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Now listen to this. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. In other David, David as king acknowledges this realization that God Almighty is in truth the owner of it all. It's important that we see and recognize this because all that we have actually belongs to God. We are entrusted with its care. We are responsible for how we use it, but God owns it all. And so even in the, in the midst of giving, he goes on to say, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Verse 13, he says, now our God, we give thanks and praise to your glorious name. For who am I 
And who are my people that we should be able to give so generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. And that's important that we recognize because when the idea of giving, giving is actually in one sense a myth. Everything belongs to God. When we are given, it's really because God has provided for us. God has given us the means to show generosity to him. And that's why it's important to recognize because what's he all saying here? And it's something that we should know and understand. What's the primary objective for our life? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What am I living for? What's the number one motive? What's the number one objective I want to accomplish with my life? And really what David is bringing focus to here is that it is to honor God. All of us are brought into this world. We were all created by God and we were created for God. And we were created to honor and glorify the Lord our God. God's, and what we need to understand is that God is a generous and benevolent giver. He made a world that flourishes. He put man into a garden and had given him dominion over all the works of his hands. He had created a world of generosity and goodness, that there was plenty for all. And the, the earth, one of the things that we learn in Genesis 8, while the earth remains, there is seed time and harvest. And even in that primary principle of the way the earth works, it's the, it's, it's the principle of abundance because we may sow one seed, but what comes from it? Multiplicity of seed. God is a multiplier. God is a provider. Fruit trees bear abundance of fruit. Crops bear abundance, far more than what's ever sown. God provides so much more. That's how God's kingdom operates. God is a God of multiplicity. God doesn't divide. God multiplies. God is more than one that just adds to us. God wants to multiply our lives. That's how his kingdom operates. And that's why it's important that we understand because God is a giver. We see that most apparently in the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God gave the greatest gift, one more uh, 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 powerful, more awesome than our minds can even begin to comprehend. But Jesus came into this world and gave his life so that we could have forgiveness of sins, that we could have eternal life, that we could have a, a, a partnership with God. We could have a restored relationship with God, that we could be heirs of God and join heirs with Jesus Christ. Yes, God is a giver. He's not a taker. That's why a distorted view of God causes people to get squeamish when you talk about the idea of money or honoring God with our substance. But it's important to see because God is love and love is most expressed in the simplicity of giving. And so question, do we honor God with what he has entrusted to us? Because everything we have is an issue of stewardship. Truly, everything we have belongs to God. We are responsible to care for the things that God has entrusted to us. We are responsible to cause them to increase and to multiply. So we, it brings us to these questions. Are we faithful in the way we handle 
money. Why? Why is money so important to God? It's important because we recognize when Jesus was upon the earth, he talked again, much we said before, that he talked a lot about it. But listen to these words, what we call the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was giving principles of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break through and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's so important for us to understand when the New Testament talks about money, money is a matter of the human heart. It's an indicator of where our heart is and what we value most. Jesus said something so profound. He said, where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Then he went on to say this, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, Jesus was using a Hebrew idiom here, important about how we look at things, because when he says that the eye is healthy, some, some translations say if your eye is good, it's talking about having a generous eye. He's comparing generosity with being stingy, with being greedy, with holding things, because what we struggle with in the world that we live in, God made a life. He made a world of abundance, but when sin entered the garden. When sin began to dominate the human psyche, we began to think there wasn't enough. We began to have a scarcity mindset. We began to allow fear to control us. And the temptation is to hoard. And that's what Jesus is beginning to address these mentalities, these ways of thinking. In Matthew 6, he talks much about all of this because he said, behold, the, the birds of the air, they do not sow, nor do they store into the barns, but your Father in heaven feeds them. Are you not much better than that? He said the, the flowers of the field, they don't, they don't spin or, or sow, or, or, or their, their beauty is bestowed upon them by God. And even Solomon, in the height of his majestic reign over Israel, Never once was he arrayed like one of the wildflowers in the field. And if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more take care of us? And then Jesus said these words, you of little faith. Faith is the ability to trust in God. And you see a mindset that says that there's not enough, that I need to take matters in my own hands, that I need to hold on to what I have because there's not enough, is not a kingdom mindset. God's kingdom works in abundance, but God works through the faithful stewardship of his people. Now back to this Hebrew idiom about our, the way we see it, because if we look at life through generosity, our hearts are filled with light. We recognize the abundance that God responds to generosity. God is a giving God. And when we give, that's why the book of Proverbs tells us that there is one who gives and increases even more and one who, un, who withholds unduly and comes to poverty. Now, that's totally contrary to the way our minds think. How can you give away what you have and increase and have even more? But he says that if we hold on stingily to what we have, 
it leads us to poverty. Why? Because the kingdom of God works directly opposite. In our world, there's abundance, but it's a small minority of people who continue to hoard up and store more and more and more and don't share the resources that they've been entrusted with. That's what God's kingdom comes to confront because God's kingdom is a place of plenty. God's kingdom is a place where he wants to see others benefited through the generosity of his stewards because his stewards are responsible to cause his master's estate to prosper and to affect the lives of others. But Jesus went on to say here that if the light that is in thee is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then this verse, so critical. He said in verse in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, if I were writing that, I probably wouldn't have thought in that regard. You can't serve God and, I would say, the devil. But no, here, what Jesus makes known to us is that the number one competition for the human heart is money. And that's why that's why it's so important how we handle money is an issue of the heart. That's what the New Testament gives us the understanding that money is a matter of the human heart. And so in Jesus parables, he has many what we call stewardship parables. Whenever Jesus told a story, it's important to recognize that in Jesus stories, someone represented God and someone represented us. And so Jesus in his stewardship principles gives the understanding because there were many of them. Luke 16, an owner who had entrusted his estate to a money manager and had gotten word that the money manager had wasted, squandered his estate. And he told them that he was going to lose his job and he were to get the books in order and to give an account to him. And it gives us the understanding, whether it's the parable of the talents, all of the different stewardship parables gives us clear realization that number one, that the master, the owner, has full and total ownership over his assets. Number two, that, er that the owner or the master, that his will is final. His decisions are determinant. In other words, what he says goes. Why? Because it's all his. He entrusts it to others. It shows trust because the owner gives us stewardship over his assets. He entrusts us for the care of his goods. He gives us the ability to cause his assets to prosper and for us to benefit from the prosperity of what we've been entrusted with. God has no problem with blessing his people. He just does not want the blessings to own us. God says, I want your lives to be blessed so that you have more than you need so you can share with others who are in need. That is how the kingdom operates. Poverty is not a blessing. God does not bring poverty into the life of anyone because poverty is part of the curse. No, God made the world to prosper. He put it under our control and desires that not only do we prosper it, but that we prosper it for the right reasons. We prosper it for the benefit and help of others. That's how God builds his kingdom. That's how God spreads his estate. That's how God works through us to see his purposes accomplished and fulfilled on the earth. Because why? God wants all humankind to be blessed. 
And how are, how does he want his blessing to go? He blesses us to be a blessing. That is how the kingdom operates. God is generous. He rewards us for faithful use. All of the stewardship parables give the understanding when the steward was faithful, when the steward uh, uh, did what he was supposed to do and caused the prosperity of the master's estate. The master rewarded those stewards. I love it in the parable of the talents. It says, enter into the, to the, to the joy of the Lord. In other words, when the stewards were faithful, when those that were entrusted with what they were given and they multiplied it and prospered it, the master, the owner, rewarded them for their increase. You see, it also gives us the understanding that the owners have expectation. The master expects things of his steward. He expects him to prosper. He expects him to handle his assets faithfully. And that's what brings us to the next part of it is stewards. Stewards need to realize that they are caretakers. They are managers. They are money managers. They are to expand the master's estate. They are entrusted with this care to cause their master's assets to grow and to flourish and to benefit the people to whom they're given for. Secondly, it's important that we realize as stewards that all of us are accountable, that one day our stewardship will end and we will owe our master an accountability for how we manage the assets that were put under our care. Therefore, it doesn't really matter how much we have. It's more important to understand what we do with it is what matters to Almighty God. That's one of the false things that that can uh, um, attack our minds and make us think that, well, if I had more, I would do more. No, the Bible gives us a clear understanding. If we're faithful with a little, only then will the, when God make us master over more. We are responsible to be faithful what we have, and we are accountable for that. And that's why faithfulness is a part of it. We need to be trustworthy. We need to be diligent. We need to do the master's work with what we have been given and recognize that he will bless us for faithful stewardship of his aspect. The, the, the next thought that it gives us as stewards is that we need to be industrious. It's the master's expectation that we increase. So whatever we do have, that we multiply what we have. God only expects us to produce according to what we've been entrusted with and to what the grace he's given us to do so. But he expects from all of us increase. He expects us to be industrious, not to be lazy, but to use his resources wisely. Stewards are responsible to use the wisdom of God so that we produce an ROI, a return on God's investment. All of us should be able to look at our master when we stand accountable before him and he have the ability to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. See, God expects us only to increase at the level in which we have been entrusted with that care. But if we use the wisdom of God, we can multiply the whatever resources have been entrusted to us and give God a return on his investment. And it's important that as stewards that we respect the master, that we keep our minds 
in the right attitude, in the right context, to view the master correctly, that he is generous, that he is benevolent, that he has provided us the opportunity to grow and to increase. In other words, not get our eyes on somebody else's estate and what they're doing, but to stay faithful to what we have and to know that our master is good, that he has provided richly for us. We brought nothing into the world and we in truth will take nothing out. But the accountability of what we do with what we have, he will reward us when we're faithful with what we've been given. And that's why it's important as stewards that we remain focused. What is our purpose? Do we live to the honor of the owner, the one who owns it all? See, God owns it all. Jesus' stewardship parables give us the understanding that God owns it all, that he has entrusted to each and every one of us an opportunity to increase, an opportunity to manage things that he has put under our care. Everything we have, came from God. And therefore, we're responsible to manage it wisely, to manage it faithfully, to cause it to grow and to increase. We're to see things as God sees it, because the way God sees money, in in Luke 16, the parable of the dishonest steward, the dishonest money manager, the way in which it actually gives us the understandings are, is that God sees money as a tool. Money is a way that God uses to bless and to help uh, uh, build his kingdom, to bless others. Money is a way to increase and to do things. It's also a test. It tests our hearts to see where our loyalties are. And it's a testament to whose we are and to who we serve. And so I want to leave us with this thought today as we end. Are we ready for the master to return? Have we been faithful with the things that have been entrusted to us? Do we have a kingdom mindset? Do we look at things from the standpoint, is God truly the owner of it all? And that we are the managers responsible to give him an accounting for how we handle what we do? Think about this. To be generous, to use God's resources wisely, not just to benefit our lives. Again, don't misunderstand me. God wants our lives to be blessed. He wants our needs to be met so that once our needs are met, we have the ability to help meet the needs of others. The problem is we allow our, uh, you know, our wants to become our needs. We turn things that we don't need into things that we have to have. And therefore we're constantly want more and more and more and more. But think about this. What would we need to change to be more generous in our lives? We also have to ask our question, have we honored God with what we've been entrusted with? Do we live our lives from the perspective of living for the glory of God, living to honor God with all of the resources that have been entrusted to us? Do we truly look at everything as God's and do we attempt to leverage it to not just bless ourselves, but to be a tool for his kingdom. Does, our, does God truly have the number one position in our heart? Or do our needs and wants come before God? See, these questions can be uncomfortable to some, but if we're to live in the kingdom, the kingdom is allowing the king to reign in our lives, to recognize that God is good, to see him for who he truly is. And so the last question I want to leave us what Matthew 16 provides us an understanding 
The steward, when he realized that his stewardship would end, realized that he had a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity. And he set in motion a plan. And what we gain out of this parable, an understanding of us, is that every one of us have been given a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to make an impact for God's kingdom's sake. Are we kingdom builders? Are we building God's kingdom? Or are we just building our own kingdom? There is an eternity. The master will return. We will owe him an accounting for all that we did with what we've been entrusted with. But what if we took the attitude? What if we took the understanding to begin to honor God with what we have now and use the little time and the little opportunity we have to make a huge kingdom impact? Because it doesn't have to do with how much we have. It all has to do with what we do with what we've been entrusted with. And so for today, we're going to sign off at this point right now. I hope this has been a blessing to you. And we'll pick up this discussion again next week. 